Well, good morning and welcome to Data Journey. Uh, my name is Randy and it's great to have you if you're a guest especially. Let me ask you this. How many of you got a rock when you came in? I don't know how good a job. Okay, we got several people who don't. So these guys are bringing a box of rocks or a basket of rocks. So if you don't have one, just raise up your hand because you're going to need one before the day is over. All right, so uh, guys, pass out some rocks. While we're doing that, um, how about those kids? Can you imagine that? When I was that age, 10 years old, there's no way I would have got up here and, uh, and talked. And uh, also, uh, but to be able to tell their story and what God is doing in their lives, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. So we want you to get a rock. Get a rock on the way. If you don't have one again, raise your hand. All right. We did not do a very good job passing out rocks in this service, did we? All right, so we're going to get them out because uh, we hope that there's some meaning on rocks up here. I got a couple up front, Robert, who are Mark, when you get a chance. Oh, uh, no, well, we, no, you just hold on to your rock there. You know, first, first hour, there were a lot of comedians, and they're like, I think I can hit you from here. I don't know how many of them told me that. I was <laughs> like, nah, you, you got the wrong attitude to get started here. All right. All right, we got a couple more back in the back. All right. Uh, yeah, just don't, don't give up. They'll, they'll get to you in a moment. Uh, mark some over to your, yeah, or to your left. All right. We're going to talk about that. We're going to study a book of John, John chapter 8 today, and we've been kind of walking through this book. We call it the untold story because we're looking at the stories that Jesus, uh, of Jesus, that John alone records. And so it kind of, uh, we've had about uh, a few weeks here, eight weeks or so that we're in, and we're going to wrap this up uh, culminating in Easter. And like we said uh, last week, we're encouraging people uh, to start thinking about, pondering what your next step might be. And for many, it might be baptism. Now, maybe you've been a believer in Christ, but you've never been obedient to him in baptism. And so we always kind of make Easter a, a big day. I know also I, already I had a parent tell me this morning that her, her son was going to be baptized on Easter. So maybe that's your day uh, to kind of work toward that. I'd love to talk with you. We'll have a chance to uh, to have a class so you can answer, uh, get your questions answered if you'd like. But sometime we all just need a day to say, I'm going to do this, what God's called me to do. So at any rate, that's uh, kind of what's going on here and, and get ready for the next few weeks. You know, uh, several years ago, maybe you heard uh, probably that a guy named Michael Vick, he was a professional football player, and uh, he, was, uh, he was indicted and then convicted of abusing and killing dogs through dog fighting. And if you recall, he actually went to jail. He served a uh, 18 months in jail and then he got a second chance not only at life but also at his career he came out he was picked up by the philadelphia eagles and in fact he led them to the playoffs and ended up being the 2010 comeback player of the year in the nfl now he made some really bad choices in life but he paid his debt to society and then he went on to spend several years working with the humane society going into schools and community groups and talking about the cruelty of dog fighting now, because of that, he was praised by a lot of people, but there were many others who would not forgive him. And one of those was a guy named Tucker Carlson, who's a Fox News commentator, says some extreme things sometimes, but he said this. He said, I'm a Christian. I've made mistakes myself, and I believe in fervently in second chances. But Michael Vick killed dogs, and he did it in a heartless and cruel way. I personally think he should have been executed for that. Wow, that's a strong statement, isn't it? You know, uh, one, one of the things that I think he did not do Christianity a favor is by making that kind of statement based on the fact that he was a Christian. But you know what? I got to agree with him. Uh, Michael Vick deserved to die. But also, Tucker Carlson did too. And I do, and you do as well, by the way. 
for what you have done in life because the Bible says that our sin, the result of that is that we rightfully should die. However, the fact that Carlson is a Christian should have made him rethink that bold statement he said. That is, if he's ever read the book of John and John chapter 8, because in John 8, we're going to be reading about someone who rightly deserved to be put to death for their actions, for their sin, but someone whom Jesus stepped in and stopped it. You've probably come to know that we're in, going to talk about the story of the woman who has been taken in adultery in John chapter 8. So let's read it together. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say to that? They were using this question to trap Jesus in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, I can just imagine this scenario, and I don't know about you, but I really hate confrontation and, and awkward situations. And this seems to be one that would be extremely uncomfortable for everybody involved in it. And this really wasn't the way that they typically would confront someone. You know, we've heard about in our country's history about the witch trials where they made a public mockery of, of people who were suspected or guilty. And this isn't how it happened all the time. It was an awkward situation, but we have already discovered why this actually came about. But let's dissect it a little bit here and see what's going on. In the chapter before that, in John chapter 7, the Pharisees and the religious teachers had been gathered together trying to figure out how to deal with Jesus. Probably figured by now that he was a real thorn in their side. He was always confronting them and calling them out, calling them hypocrites and, you know, exposing their own weaknesses. And they, of course, were kind of the religious leaders, the, the authority of that day, the Sanhedrin Pharisees and uh, scribes together collectively made that. And they've been trying to figure out how do we deal with Jesus? How do we expose him as what they thought was a fake? This is also in chapter 7 where we read about Nicodemus again. Maybe you remember him in John chapter 3. Came to Jesus at night. Jesus said, you must be born again. And uh, so we talked about him and how he, believed, we believe, went on to become a follower of Christ. So when they're trying to deal with him, in the middle of this, Nicodemus speaks up. And he says, maybe we shouldn't be so hard on him. And they kind of blow him off. And so that's the environment that Jesus was looking at. And now they suddenly bring it all to a head by a public confrontation of him and also this woman. You know, I, I think in looking at this, we see uh, a lot of sin going on. And we're going to look at that sin, but we're not going to look at the woman's sin first. We're going to look at the sin of these religious people. We're going to look at their sin, and then we're going to look at the grace that was shown. Now, the sin of the, what was the sin of the religious people, the leaders, and the Pharisees that brought the woman in? You know, we're seeing a lot of public figures today that are doing a lot of sleazy things in public, right? And these things are being brought out and being exposed to everybody, people who ought to know better. And, and what you've got basically here are some people who were supposed to be above all of this, stooping to a new low, snooping around, trying to catch people in the very act of having sex. I mean, imagine what that is like, and we don't have to imagine hard, we 
kind of get that exposed to that all the time, don't we? But what were these people all about? They didn't really care about purity. They didn't care about holiness. And they didn't care about this woman. They didn't even care about the law. In fact, they very clearly were using this woman, and they were cruel and unfeeling in the process. What was their sin? Well, they sinned in how they treated the woman. They exposed her to public shame. They didn't have to bring it out, even if the situation had been discovered. They didn't have to expose it like this. They sinned in setting the woman up to be caught. It was almost certain that they, this was no you know, chance thing they discovered. It was most certain that they set her up and had this situation designed specifically to trap Jesus. They obviously had, uh, in that day, uh, the law said that if you were to catch someone and accuse someone, there had to be two people present, and they couldn't just be together. They had to actually catch them in the process. It's unlikely that this was a chance encounter. It also is true they sinned because they were supposed to stop people from sinning before they started, right? So in setting these, this woman and, and the man up, obviously, they had avoided the law and disobeyed the law and allowed people to sin. And they sinned also because it was all a setup, and they were trying to trap Jesus. It's very clear. Now, you find Jesus kind of in a dilemma here because he's having to acknowledge that he's dealing with people who ought to know better and who have the public authority, at least anyway, in public respect. But he has a dilemma about how do you deal with these people and their sin? What does he say? If he says, yes, you should be stoned, then he's going to be in trouble, first of all, with the Roman authority. Remember, the Romans were the only one that could condemn someone to death. So if Jesus were to say, yes, this woman deserves to be stoned for what she's done, then he would be an upriser against Rome, and they would have turned him in in Rome. They would have, to Rome, they, the Romans, they would have done that. And then he would no longer be considered to be a friend of sinners. People would look at him and say, well, you're as judgmental as everybody else. But if, on the other hand, he said she should not be stoned, then he would be accused of dismissing the law the law that they all lived under, which was the law uh, of Moses that said if someone who was caught in a situation like this, they were to be stoned to death. That's what the law said. And it seemed like it was a no-win situation for Jesus. If he says one thing, he's in trouble. If he says the other, he's in trouble. What does he do? But the sin of these religious leaders was the most glaring thing we see first. Then the second thing we see is the sin of the man. Do you notice the man is not even mentioned here? Obviously, if she was caught in the act, there was somebody else involved in that. In that day, he would be considered equally guilty. The law did not discriminate, saying only women should be tried like this. The man should have been there as well. But you know what? It, it was kind of a man culture back then, and they didn't need him, and so they were only, only going to exploit the woman. So there was that sin of the man. And then, of course, there's the obvious. There's the sin of the woman, her sin. And you know what? She seemed like she acknowledged her guilt. There's no mention here of a defense that she mounted to try to insist that she was not guilty. Instead, she just acknowledged, you know, yeah, she's here and she's quiet. Uh, she's embarrassed. She's humiliated, obviously. And, uh, and the sin that she'd been accused of was a very serious one. In fact, what they were calling for was for her to be stoned to death, which meant that she was either married or she was engaged and she had been unfaithful to her husband or her fiancé. So both the man and the woman, in this case, should have been stoned according to the law. But again, this wasn't really a trial for the woman. This was a trial for Jesus. And it's very clear that was being set up here. Now, before we go any further, let me just ask you, who in this whole scenario, who deserves to die? Who was guilty of intentional, deliberate, and premeditated sin before God? 
Obviously, the woman was, right? The man was. But we see the Pharisees were and the teachers of the law. But then we also see that you and I are probably guilty as well. Anybody here ever premeditatedly sinned, deliberately in sin? I'd say all of us would probably find ourselves guilty there, right? And how do we know that we're guilty of laws, of death? It's just the Old Testament law? Obviously, the Bible speaks to that not only in the Old, but the New as well. And it says in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. What we rightly deserve for our sin is to die for that. Any sin, not just a big sin like adultery, we might think, but any sin should bring rightfully upon us the punishment of death. And we all have to acknowledge that, yes, we are all guilty of that. We all deserve death. Until we acknowledge that we're guilty, then we really can't appreciate uh, uh, the situation that we're in. But before we leave that verse of Scripture, let me read the rest of it, because I don't want to leave us there, okay? In Romans chapter 6, again, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you grateful for the second part of that verse? That it doesn't leave us there. The wages of sin, the punishment of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is what we get through the grace of God. This is where grace actually comes in, and we're about to see grace on display. So they bring this woman in, they bring her before Jesus intentionally, and they made her sit in the middle of them, and then they exposed her sin. And they gave whatever details there were that they had, they just exposed this out in the public. And by the way, it was a BYOR event. It was bring your own rock, all right? And that's why I wanted you to have one today so you could fully appreciate kind of what they were dealing. Now, I would say that their rocks were quite a bit bigger than ours, uh, but for convenience, we made them a little bit smaller today. But obviously, when they did something like this, they were prepared for that. So they probably brought a rock, their rocks with them. And we can just imagine them standing there, a rock in one hand, a pointing finger at the other one, ready to go. Just give us a sign and let's go. Now, in the middle of all this, let's remember who we're talking about. These are not the bad guys. These are not robbers and hateful people, you know, that, that want to hurt others. Supposedly, these are religious leaders of that day. These are the good guys. These are the good guys who have become bad guys in some way. Now, why do I think it's important to remember who they are? Because, guys, for you and I, we always have to be cautious, and we always have to be thoughtful about our actions. Because those people could be us. And if we're honest, more than likely, we all acknowledge that we've been there at some point in our life, haven't we? We've been all too aware and all too alerted to somebody else's issues and not our own. So we have to acknowledge who these people were and what they were about to do. And they bring her this woman, and they demand that Jesus tell them what to do. You say the word, Jesus, and we'll do it. We're going to keep the law. You know, it's interesting what Jesus did and what he said. For the moment, he said nothing. I'm sure that the silence hung in the middle of that scenario for just the right amount of time. And then Jesus, he did something unexpected. He bent over and he wrote on the ground. He wrote in the dust with his finger. Don't you wonder what Jesus wrote? Don't you wonder what, was Jesus just doodling, you know, <laughs> to confound him? Or was he actually writing something? Someone said that maybe he was writing that verse of Scripture that the law had made that would demand her stoning. Uh, others suggest, no, he was writing the names of the Pharisees and teachers. He knew them. He was writing their names in the dirt. Others go further to say, you know what he was doing? He was writing their sins. 
and they knew it. We don't know. We'll, we'll ask him one day. It won't matter at that point. But he may say, I wasn't writing anything. I was just messing with them, you know? Maybe that's what he was doing. You know, but at any rate, it, it was a very tense moment there. And uh, obviously, they thought by his silence, they had him cornered. They had him on the ropes. And there's no right answer in this situation, right? And then they pressed him more and more. They demanded he give them an answer until finally it says that Jesus straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. When I read that, I was just like, boom, man, he just, he just hit them right, right where it hurts, you know. What do you do to that? But let's ask, what was Jesus actually saying at that moment? Was Jesus actually saying that, that no one uh, could ever call sin what it is unless they were perfect? No, he wasn't saying that, right? Because all of us sin, and yet there is a standard to which God calls us. Well, was Jesus saying the woman was innocent? No, we assume that she was guilty. Was Jesus saying there's no such thing as sin? No, he wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying that at all. And he wasn't implying that sin should be softened. He wasn't implying that God's law, and by the way, what she had done was one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. And the punishment for that in the Old Testament law was to be stoned to death. I think what he was implying is that he knew that they were setting him up. He knew exactly what they were doing. He had seen this come together. He knew their hearts. He knew their motives. And I think what he was also saying is that he knew that many of them had very similar sins to what they were calling out of this woman. Have you ever noticed that the people who most often call out others on one particular area many times are guilty themselves of that and more? I've noticed that a lot. That we may have this sin hidden in our heart, but we deny it, and we see it clearly in others, and we expose them. And very likely, Jesus knew. I mean, we know the failures of our leaders, right? And it may have been very clear in that day that these men had been guilty, if not physically, of the same thing, then certainly in the area of lust. In other words, what Jesus was saying to them, if there's anybody here who doesn't have a sin, even in a similar sin or any sin, then let it fly. You start the game. And in fact, this is the first grace lesson that we learn from Jesus, that we are to be grace givers, that we are to be grace givers. And I got to be honest with you, for some of us who maybe lean a little bit toward the legalistic side, for some of us who don't see our own failures in life and we see the glaring failures of others, this might be the lesson we need to learn first. We need to learn that be because we're eager to because we're oftentimes eager to throw at others, that God speaks to us and says, be very cautious about what you say. Be cautious of how you treat people when you have similar issues or just as bad in your own life. Many of us are eager to do that. Find fault with somebody, throw a rock, criticize, throw somebody under the bus. And we all need to kind of stop and think about this whole idea of giving grace to others. Because every one of us need grace. We're all struggling with something. It might be a sin, it might be a wound of some sort, some hurt, baggage, some sort of struggle in our life. We all have those things that we maybe even hide, but we all are equal in our struggle. That other people need grace. People need to be loved and shown grace more than they need to be corrected. We need to show grace and love people more than we need to correct them. Most of us, we know what we do wrong. Do we need somebody on top of us pointing our faults out all the time? 
that'd be okay if there's somebody going to walk with us through it. But seldom do we really do that. We're more ready to condemn others than to face our own faults. So that's the first lesson, to be grace givers. The second lesson that we find that Jesus taught us, he does not see us primarily through the lens of our sin. He primarily doesn't see us in that way. You know, he didn't see a woman that was caught in adultery worthy of death. That's not who he saw. He saw a precious child of God who had made a lot of mistakes, honestly. A lot of screw-ups, had made choices that were very poor choices, primarily because she was hurting and she was desperate for something. She was looking for hope, healing, fulfillment, somewhere, something, and couldn't find it. Have you ever noticed that a parent can always see the best in their child, even when their child is really being bad? They don't see a disobedient child all the time. They see this child they used to hold. Uh, they see a, a young child they played with, a teenager that was maturing, a, a young adult. That's how they see them. I, I've seen and read about um, uh, someone who's done a horrible thing. And their parent is struggling with that. How do they accept that? How do they acknowledge that? This was wrong, what they did, but that's not who they want to be there, to, to define their child. They see the good in them, not primarily the wrong in them. And you know, that's how our Heavenly Father sees us as well. He, he knows our sin and our guilt, but He sees us the way that we're meant to be at our very best, even in the middle of our biggest messes. The Bible says that as a child of God, that God kind of sees us through Jesus. That, that's the lens that he sees us through. He knows our sin, but he sees that Jesus is forgiving us if we're a, a child of God. And that's how Jesus saw this woman, I believe. Now, I'm not sure that his opponents came to see the woman in the same way. I'm not sure that they suddenly were like, you know, you're right. You know, we, we shouldn't have condemned her. We shouldn't have brought her here. I don't think that ever really happened. That isn't, you know, told to us. But their reaction is kind of interesting. They pushed Jesus. Jesus made this statement about throwing, casting the first stone. And then Jesus quietly put his head down again and wrote in the dirt once more. We don't know again what he wrote in the dirt. Maybe nothing. But after a moment, he looked up. And it says, uh, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. You know, I've always thought this was kind of interesting, the way they left. It was the older ones who left first. It was the more mature ones, maybe not in age, but the more spiritually mature that acknowledged, you know what, he's absolutely right. They began to drop their stones, and they, they walked away until finally they were alone. And when Jesus looked up, all the accusers were gone. The woman was sitting quietly alone. And Jesus asked her where the accusers were and if anyone had condemned her. And when she replied to the negative, Jesus said two things to her. First of all, he said, I do not condemn you. And you know, I think in this, Jesus assumed her guilt. Never once did Jesus try to defend her sin. But he said, I'm not going to condemn you for what you have done, what you have obviously done. But he shows her grace. And then he added these words onto that. You probably remember as we read them. Go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, in a shorter way, we say, Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. I, I think Jesus told many people this. Catching them in their wrong, he did not condone that, but he did say, don't go and do it, uh, go and don't do it anymore. He gave her a pass, but he never minimized their sin. I think he said to her, you know what? You're better than this. This is not who you want to be. This is not the, the, the right choice, you know? He had the authority to do a lot of things, heal, bring life again, forgive sins. But there's no kind of authority in the way it's supposed to be used. 
in a gentle way, in a loving way, in a firm way, and in a graceful way. Grace gave her life, but grace was not a license to continue on the way that she was going. Jesus didn't just say, hey, go back to whatever you were doing. He said, go and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus' forgiveness didn't mean that her sin didn't matter. In fact, his forgiveness means that it did matter a lot and that it had to be dealt with. Nowhere do we see Jesus minimizing the, the danger or the damage of sin. And so we ask the question, how serious is our sin? It's really serious. I mean, look at what had to be done in order for our sin to be dealt with. The Son of God had to go and die on a cross in order for our sin to be taken care of. That's pretty serious. That's amazing. It's amazing. How do we look at that? How do we look at other people? You know, I'm going to tell you, I think rocks are really easy to throw. It's the easiest thing for us to do. When you came in again, or a few moments ago, you, you picked up a rock, and I want to ask you a couple of questions about that rock. What does that rock mean to you? What does it mean to you? In first service, somebody people said, I think Jesus is my rock. I'm like, that's great. That's not what we're talking about today <laughs> in this scenario. It's not what it stands for. What does a rock mean to you? You know, for some of you, maybe you're that rock thrower. Maybe the, the rock fits really naturally in your hands because you've thrown a lot of rocks. That's kind of your bent. You're kind of legalistic about things. You're, it's, you're cut and dry. And, and when you see someone, your first tendency is to judge them, to find fault with them, to point out their fault, to make them pay. And if that's what this means to you, then I'm going to ask you to reflect and act in a few moments. Or maybe the rock stands for something else. Maybe the rock stands for what's been thrown at you. Maybe some things in life have been very difficult. Maybe divorce or adultery. Maybe it's abortion, some crime, some mistake that you've made. And in fact, your sin has come to define you. If not to other people, then it does define you to yourself. Because maybe the rock represents the damage that, that's been thrown at you. Maybe not all of it on your own uh, responsibility. Maybe it's been thrown at you by somebody else. And that's what defines you. It's how you think about yourself. You've given up on yourself. People around you may have given up, and you assume that God's given up on you as well. In fact, maybe you've even started throwing rocks at yourself, the way you think about yourself, the way you attack and criticize yourself because of some action, some wrong, some sin in your life. Maybe the rock represents that. Maybe the rock, however, represents something better. Maybe in your life it does represent something that's meaningful. Maybe this rock represents the amazing grace that you've experienced, that some people have shown to you, and Jesus is the rock of your life. And you want to not only enjoy it, but maybe it's time to show that to somebody else, that you've been forgiven and there's now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. And that obviously is the best meaning for the rock. Or whatever the rock may mean to you, I think Jesus wants us to do with your rock what the people in this story did, and that was to drop their rock. I believe as they kind of drifted away, they kind of dropped their rock along the way, and it suddenly was becoming very heavy for them. Hear the words of Jesus. If you've been throwing stones at others, just drop it. Jesus said, let, let any one of you who is without the, the, the sin to be the first to throw a stone. So if you've been holding a rock here that's been justifiably thrown at you, Jesus said, I, don't con I do not condemn you. If you've been holding the rock as, as if this is what you have done in life and it's a big joke, that your sin doesn't matter, and 
it doesn't mean anything, then Jesus said to you, stop sinning. Go and leave your life of sin and sin no more. And Jesus took this woman who was obviously guilty, guilty of our sin. She removed the shame and the punishment that came along with it. And she marked this no case. This woman who thought she was on her way to die was suddenly given hope. And I believe that she changed her life. You know what? Jesus can do the same thing with you. The same thing with you. You know, we're not told about this woman. I guess that's frustrating to some of us. A lot of the stories of Jesus, we don't know what happened. But I think it's safe to say that her life probably changed that day because she'd experienced the grace of God. You know, I think Jesus recognized that she probably was guilty when she first, uh, when he first saw her. I think also he perceived in some way that she was sorry, not just that she got caught, but sorry for her sin. And that's probably why it turned out the way that it did. I think if she had been defiant, if she had been defensive, that, that Jesus probably would have had a hard time defending her, but he knew her heart. And he offered her grace, and she accepted it. This morning, as we wrap up, let me ask you, are you willing to do that as well, to accept the grace that God has given to you? And if you are, and you're ready to let go of your rock, here's what I'd like to ask you, ask you to do. You probably see up around the cross that other people in first service have come and done that. During the song that we're going to sing here in just a few moments, I'm going to ask if you would just to come forward and, and drop your rock where it, where it belongs at the foot of the cross. All of our shame and our guilt, all of our actions and our harsh thoughts toward other people, we need to let them go. And the best place to put them is at the cross. This is where Jesus went to die for us, to take away the sin of all mankind. And we, we, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our sins are removed. And hopefully, as his people, we learn not to be as hard on others, to love them through this. The judgment they brought on the woman, there was no love in that. It was only harsh criticism, judgment to see somebody punished. And guys, we all have enough problems of our own. We don't minimize sin. We show grace. And then as Jesus said, we say and we live, go and sin no more. In just a few moments, our worship team's going to come out and they're going to sing a song. But I asked uh, Dan to lead us in. A song about forgiveness, a song about how God sees us and how we see ourselves, that in this process we are remade as a child of God, and we're not defined by our sin. I'm going to ask if you would to bow with me for a prayer. If you want to come and lay your cross up here during that, uh, your rock at the cross during that time, we ask you to do that, to let it go. Let it go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, thank you for the lessons you teach us. Father, to see uh, Jesus and all of his grace in his forgiveness, the fact that he acknowledged what sin was, but, but he teaches us to be grace givers and not stone throwers, that we can extend this to others, the grace that we've experienced ourselves. Father, I pray that you'll help us in this area, that we'll learn to um, forgive others, that we'll learn to let it go as if we've been let go. God, we would not demand any more of someone than what you might demand. God, you never let go of your truth. You never compromise. You never wink at sin. But God, you've given us the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, who came to take our sin away. So Lord, help us as we let go of the rocks we could throw or the rocks that have been thrown at us. Release those to you, Lord. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.